The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now, your host, Scott Walker. Time right now, 818. You're tuned to WGNS on this Thursday morning. Today, the 18th of January, and Mitchell Moat joins us from the Agriculture Extension Service. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. How are you this morning, Scott? I'm cold. Yeah, well, it's chilly. It's wintertime. Uh, It's it's expected. Sure. (laughs) We were talking off the air about the temperature over the years and uh, the highs and lows. And, you know, it's interesting because every generation in fact every year you hear people say stuff like well it didn't used to be this cold outside or didn't used to be this hot outside right but i i think every generation says that <laughs> well just like you know every generation at least my perception is that every generation talks about you know the the, the state of that generation's young people and so on. so yeah i think so it's uh <clears throat> i don't know maybe maybe sometimes we have skewed memories uh <laughs> Uh, I, I, you know, we were talking off air and it was in January, I think of 85 that, uh, you know, we roughly about this same time of January, as I recall, it, we certainly had a, a cold snap. We got down into the, you know, into the, the negative teens, uh, 15, 16, 17 degrees below zero. And a lot of, a uh, lot of, it caused a lot of hardship, uh, folks, you know, trying to tend to livestock and to milk cows and so on, as well as, you know, just, just everybody. It was cold, uh, plant death, uh, it had shrubbery die, uh, a lot of Bermuda grass uh, was killed during that, uh, that little cold snap and so on. So it, it, it varies. It yeah. It varies. Go I, from extremes. I was looking at this, uh, I don't know, I guess you'd call it a, a temperature map that shows the temperature data from uh oh gosh all the way back to august of 1895 and you know all the way up to 2023 and man, the temperature is all over the place you yeah. know from from over 100 years ago so it there wasn't a time where it was you know 80 degrees solid i mean it, it really was all no, over a lot, the place a lot of variation a lot of fluctuation and uh yeah our, our several years ago uh was was looking at some of that weather data some of the old stuff and you know they're like in the as a kid growing up on a farm uh we talked about hog killing weather because you wanted it cool enough that you could you didn't worry about the meat spoiling because you know you were doing it yourself you know butchering yourself and so thanksgiving was a traditional time uh for hog killing and you know, it's, we we certainly do have some very mild Thanksgiving days uh, now. So just went back and looked at some of those, uh, uh, some of that historical data. And gosh, there were, you know, some Novembers, uh, and I'm saying, you know, back years ago, that according, according to the statistics, to, to the records they have, that, you know, it didn't get below freezing uh, in the month of November. But then other times it, it got way colder than that. So it's it's been up and down, up it, and down. It is interesting, though, to, to hear people say, you know, I, I remember it used to snow three feet uh, on a regular basis. But if you if you look back, well, maybe that was only once. But that tells me that it was that one time that they probably enjoyed it the most. You know, well, something it made about an impression. It. Yeah, it made an impression, <clears throat> I guess. You know, what recent times, uh, what was it, in 93, in March of 93, we had, uh, <clears throat> I guess, maybe almost a blizzard, and we had, you know, close to 12 inches of snow, and 
it was, uh, I think it occurred, uh, started like on a Friday afternoon, and the following week was going to be Rutherford County School spring break week, and we had that, that, that storm move in. I know I have uh, older siblings, and they were reminiscing just here this uh, uh, past weekend, along about January of 64, it came, uh, uh, it came a big snow, like maybe, I don't know, 10, 12, 14 inches, something like that, and you know, got down cold and stayed cold for a while. Uh, but those kind of things make impressions on people. And those kind of things are fun for, you know, kids and teenagers and, and probably you know, young fun adults for too. some yeah. and, and, and hard on others. So, yeah. <laughs> That's right. So when the temperature is down there to those negative numbers like we've seen in recent nights, what does happen? Because you, you were saying, you know, even Bermuda grass is killed off. What does happen when your yard is hit by that and, and what Take shape. Well, a lot of times it's not really, you know, anything long-term happens to it. Uh, you know, cool season grasses. Well, so let's compare this weather right now to the, to, the, the, to the flash freeze event we had in December of 2022, I guess. What was it, 22nd, 23rd December, right along in there, when we had that great big temperature swing. I mean, that was like a 50-degree temperature drop in 12 hours or so. And... The reason that caused you know that that caused a lot of plant damage, uh, it it killed uh, um, it, it killed a lot of uh, above ground shrubbery, um, more so you know evergreen type shrubs, uh, both needle and broadleaf evergreen. So yeah, I don't know that there was a, a single laurel anywhere in Middle Tennessee that was not damaged, frozen back, uh, killed back to the ground from that, and it occurred with some of the the needle bearing or the needle leaf evergreens like. Uh, you know, Japanese cedar and <clears throat> some, uh, uh, some, maybe some, uh, uh, some Leland cypress, maybe some arvites and so on. Um, but, but then others like Eastern red cedar, you know, they weren't damaged at all. So it kind of depends on, you know, where, where they were, what they were doing. Um, we had not really had, we, we've been fairly mild, uh, it, from a temperature standpoint. And, you know, it's questionable that, that some of those, uh, evergreen plants were truly dormant at that time. And, and, because they weren't uh or maybe were not truly dormant um and, and still in somewhat active growth state that, that big uh drop in temperature i mean it it, it was not just a, a frost i mean it was a freeze it was a flash freeze it was like you know you're taking this 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 plant and you, you're taking it out of the ground and sticking it in a freezer somewhere and and, and i mean physically the, the the fluid the liquid inside those plants froze and it would freeze, and of course, when it you know water liquid freezes, it expands and jagged edges. So it, I mean, it destroyed tissue and so on. So you had a lot of this die back. Um, so that's that's why you had that kind of damage. Now, is there going to be anything like that associated with this last cold spell? Well, I don't think nearly the same extent uh, because one, we we had have we have had some cold snaps prior to this, and the plants that should have been dormant were most likely pretty well dormant when that occurred and uh you know the deciduous trees the deciduous plants even you know in december of 22 you didn't see a lot of damage on them because they were dormant you know they had shed their leaves they had gone in their dormant uh, uh, phase um and, and so most most even the evergreen trees and shrubs and so on uh, uh here now were, were dormant before we hit in got into the cold snap that we're experiencing at this time you know there may be some damage uh it's it's way too early to know about that you know if if you are concerned uh, about a particular plant uh, 
you know, has it been damaged or whatnot, you know, after things moderate a little bit, just just go out to it and do what you call a scratch test, where you take a, take a thumbnail or just a, you know, a good sharp pocket knife blade and just, just scrape the bark back on those young uh, branches, twigs, and just looking for green color underneath. As long as you've got green color, that's telling you it's alive, it's viable, uh, and, and probably no damage occurred. Now, as far as grasses and whatnot are concerned, you know, we have two kinds of grasses, but we have warm season grasses, that's Bermuda grass, Zoysia grass, and uh, we have our cool season grasses, that's the you know, tall fescue, the fine fescues, uh, Kentucky bluegrass and whatnot. Um, don't expect any damage at all on the cool season grasses, even, you know, the December freeze of 22. It, it, it certainly caused damage to the above ground growth on those plants, and they look pretty tough you know kind of have a brown appearance general brown bronze look to them for a while but but it didn't damage the root system at all it didn't damage the crown of the plant and, and they recovered uh bermuda grass and, and zoysia grass those warm season plants you know if it gets cold enough it, you know even down in the low 20s and it stays that cold consistently long enough i mean it can cause damage to them and because they're warm season plants and they they need that hot weather uh, in order to grow um so and there were certainly spots that were damaged in the 2022 event. Um, but because, you know, the, the entire population wasn't killed, then it recovered. It was slower to recover in the following spring once it, uh, uh, temperatures, soil temperature consistently got into that 60-degree range and things started growing, started having plenty of sunlight for them to, you know, to, to be photosynthetically active and, and to be growing. Uh, they eventually recovered from it because those are creeping, spreading grasses. Uh, and again, you know, it, it wouldn't be surprising to me at all if there weren't pockets of, of these warm season grasses that, you know, are killed, okay, but I don't think you had entire populations wiped out. Um, I mean, one thing that helps a little bit, you had a little bit of insulation from the snow cover uh, on there because that, that does act like a little bit of an insulating blanket. Um, <coughs> they're protected from wind to an extent because, uh, um, you know, you have cold 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 conditions and then those plants are exposed and if you have a blowing wind i mean that just that, that just exacerbates that so you know they are somewhat protected uh, to a little bit because of snow cover so you know it's it's way too early to know yet but certainly don't anticipate uh, being the same degree of damage to, to to plants and lawns and landscapes and you know gardens uh, as, as there was in december of 22 you know, as yard sizes get smaller and smaller, and these homes are being built very close together these days, True. you're seeing more people use sod in their front and backyard. They're putting down their own grass that looks perfect. Mm -hmm. But how long can that look perfect? I mean, is there a reasonable time frame that it's going to stay looking the way it does? Because during cold snaps, it does you know does that damage that expensive grass that people bring in and place so in the yard sod is exactly what it i mean it's it's just grass you know that has been harvested uh by by cutting it out of a field so it's a uh, uh, sod is a is is a grass plant with a thin layer of soil and in that soil layer then you've got you know whatever roots were were harvested when the sod was cut is it a reason is there a a, a, a time is there a period of time you expect it to look good? Uh, no. I mean, you, you can't really put a timetable on that because a lot of it has to do, certainly, the kind of grass it is. You know, Bermuda grass, whether it comes from sod, whether it comes from seed or whatever, is a warm season grass. And it's going to suffer in periods of cold weather. Uh, 
whether, again, whether it was established from sod or whether it was established from seed or from plugs or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, what you do as the, the owner of that grass uh, in terms of uh, uh, how you maintain it, you know, do you do you supply uh, and meet the needs of the grass? Uh, you know, for example, during periods of, of, of dry weather, do you provide supplemental irrigation? Even though it's a hot weather grass, uh, you know, Bermuda grass still needs moisture, even though it is a, a, a it, it is better able to tolerate drought better than the cool season grass like tall fescue. It still has a need for water. If it doesn't get that water, it's going to suffer. And when it suffers, it becomes weaker. And when it's weaker, then it's not as, it's not as able to withstand those stresses like cold weather and so on as it would have been otherwise. So how you maintain it certainly influences how long you would anticipate it remaining a good population of grass out there. You know, do you, do you meet the fertility requirements? Do you supply, uh, the, the the level of nutrients you know, those, those minerals those essential minerals you know nitrogen phosphorus potassium the carbon and and and, and uh, 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 calcium and magnesium and so on that that all plants need uh, in, in some quantity in order to do their best so that that has a big impact on how long it's going to look good um, from a uh, from a cool season grass standpoint like tall fescue and so on <laughs> for for those folks, and, and the majority uh, of the, the home lawns in, in Middle Tennessee, you're going to find more cool season grasses than you will warm season, although warm season has you know, become more common uh, in the last few years. Those grasses are really going to suffer during hot dry spells. So if, uh, if an individual you know, sods their lawn with a, a, a tall fescue uh, blend of grasses. And we, we get into those 90 degree temperatures and we don't have moisture uh, from natural rainfall. If they do not supply supplemental irrigation, then those grasses are going to suffer and you're going to lose parts of those populations. So, you know, I, I can't answer, there's not a, an answer to that question you ask, Scott. Is there a, an expected time period when you expect it to look good? You know, hopefully it'll look good at least for a week after you put it out. <laughs> That's right. Yes, not expensive. Week, expect a well, it is. It is expensive, and and uh, you know you, you you are getting an instant lawn. You know, basically, you're not uh, you're you're not uh, you're foregoing. You know, you're paying for the. Uh, I guess the. The, you're, you're bypassing the, the germination period from seed and for it to, to, to grow into, a, uh, into an established population. Uh, you're getting an instant population. So, so you pay for that. It's like a convenience factor. And if that sod that you're putting down does not, uh, the roots of the grass do not grow into your existing dirt, then I guess you have other problems and it's not going to last, right? No, it's not going to. It, it it has to grow into that native soil. So you got to prepare that ground first. You do. You got to. I mean, and it's not just you go out and you, you kill everything there and that's it. You know, it, it's just like if you're going to plant grass seed or if you're going to plant a vegetable garden or whatever the case. You prepare the bed. You know, prepare the planting bed for that. And you know, if if there are individuals that are 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 that's on their to do list in 2024. And if you don't have uh, experience doing that, if you're not sure how to do that, buddy, we can help you with that. Okay, we can certainly help you with that. Uh, and when I say we, I'm talking about the University of Tennessee, Tennessee State University Extension Program with uh, our educational events. You know, this winter time, winter and spring, we do have a lot of those things uh, uh, scheduled uh, for uh, for this time period. Um, you know, for, for example, uh, let me pull this up here right quick. They're looking like February 20th. 
you know, we've got our lawn and landscape weed science session. That's, that's in, you know, 6 o'clock in the evening, a um, couple-hour session there. We're, we're gonna, you know, you're going to learn about weeds, uh, different kinds of weeds, how to identify those, some resources for identifying them, and as well as, uh, you know, potential control strategies that, that a homeowner can realistically utilize. Uh, February 27th. We've got uh, one called moles, voles, and armadillos, those critters that are out there digging up and, and tearing up the lawn space. Again, that's a, a 6 o'clock session uh, in the evening. That's a Tuesday evening. You know, free sessions. If you anybody's interested in attending those, they can call the Extension Service uh, uh, or go to our website, uh, and, and you can register online for those kind of things. On March the, the 14th, uh, and this is a five-session uh, uh program here is called uh, boot camp for beginning vegetable gardeners and this is for those folks that never grown a vegetable garden before but they want to this is not for folks that have had experience trying to grow a vegetable garden this is for brand new people with no experience whatsoever uh it's five nights you know beginning on march 14th it goes the 14th uh, uh, to the 21st 28th and then april 4th and 11th the, f- the first three sessions are inside you know classroom uh, education but the last two are outside, and we're going to plant a garden. Uh, we're going to do that. So that's why we're calling it a vegetable garden boot camp. And that one does have a limited number of people because simply there's going to be a lot of hands-on stuff to it, and we can only work with so many folks at a time. But, again, to register for that, you know, contact the Extension Service Office. Go to the website. You can register there. Uh, in March, another event in March, uh, March the 9th, it's a, a woody ornamental pruning workshop. Uh, it's on a Saturday morning from like 9, uh, 9 to 11, 9 to noon. Um a free session uh, we're going to cover all aspects of, of pruning woody ornamental plants so uh, you know what to prune when to prune how to do it etc those kinds of things uh, again call the extension service office and that number i've said that three or four times but i haven't given you a number so our phone number there 615-898-7710 um, give us a call uh, or again go to the website uh, and you can register either way also uh, in march uh, this is the beginning beekeepers course and this is taught by the rutherford county beekeepers club the rutherford county beekeepers association it's on march 14th 15th and 16th uh, march 14th and 15th you know those are thursday and friday evenings 6 30 to 9 p.m in the evening and then saturday the 16th from 9 until noon where they go out and do some hands-on work actually working with some bees you know, you register for that through the Rutherford County Beekeepers Club. Uh, you can contact Keith or Robin Elrod. Uh, they're the uh, couple of the officers of the Beekeepers Club. Give them a call at their phone number, uh, 615-274-3725, if you're interested in uh, participating in that beginning beekeepers course. I think they do have a, uh, a size limit on their class. I think 50. Uh, they've got a limit of 50 people. And there is a $20 uh, per couple uh, or per individual uh, a fee to uh, uh, participate in that class, but that covers the materials that you get out of it and so on. Uh, later on in the year, you know, like this coming fall, uh, or not this coming fall, but late in the summer, we have uh, the, the Lawn Care Academy. Uh, we do it in the fall of the year, or excuse me, the late summertime, because that's when, uh, you know, the better time to establish uh, cool season turf grass and so on is in that, that summer time frame. But anyway, the point is, we have a lot of information. And if people are wanting to, you know, do some of these things and uh, to, to 
to, to plant shrubbery and whatnot. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you'd like a publication just to, to, to have those steps outlined, the best practices for establishing landscape plants or the best practices, you know, for, you know, growing tomatoes, et cetera. We have a ton of publications available through the UT Extension website. And, and so those things are available there to download. You know, you can go to uthort.com and find uh, those publications free to download, uh, calendars of when to do things like the fall vest, or excuse me, the, the, the 2024 vegetable garden calendar. It's on there. Uh, the 2024 lawn care calendar, it's on there. It outlines, you know, on a monthly basis, here are the kind of things that you might want to think about doing, you know, if you're trying to grow a vegetable garden at home or if you're maintaining your home lawn, et cetera. And, you know, all that stuff, such as uh, landscaping, growing a garden, putting sod down, it, it's all, well, very easily it can become expensive very sure quickly. Uh, so it, it does make sense to go to classes before you rent a skid steer or a uh, some kind of bobcat to go out there and scrape your grass off and exactly before and you go put down, new stuff and, down. And, and rent you know rent an overseeder or before you go buy you know 200 pounds of tall fescue seed or you go buy 50 pounds of Bermuda grass seed or you you, you spend you know 300 dollars on a, a a japanese maple that you want to put over here you know right in the bright sunny spot of your yard well you know what japanese maples are probably not the best bright sunny spot trees out there so you might want to rethink that it, 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 it you know understand uh, what the uh, what the, the the requirements are for these individual plants it may be that you know you've had your heart set on one of these beautiful little blood red japanese maples with the, the the lacy leaves and the dark red color you'd like it right there in the front yard so you can look out the window and see that thing but in the full sun that may not be the best place to put that tree so there might be better spots in your landscape to do that and and then maybe in the front area there that you were had in mind for that tree for that japanese maple tree you want to put something else but that those again those are the kind of things that we can help you with I know one of the questions we had this morning was about the uh, pine trees that line folks' yards out there in order to kind of make a makeshift a privacy fence. Yeah, screen. Uh, what what trees are those that go that last year round or, or stay thick and green year round that can serve as a privacy fence of a, of some type? So there there are a number of plants that can be used as a screen, but. What, what you just described, Scott, you, you mentioned those, those trees, they're, they're all the same. Well, I would discourage people from doing that because... Because they should get to know their neighbors. Well, not, no, not necessarily <laughs> that. I mean, it's a great idea. Otherwise, if you don't have your neighbors, how can you be a good neighbor, That's right? right. If you don't want to know who they are. And it would certainly encourage folks to have good relations with their neighbors. But when you have, and, and you see arborvitaes used, good plant. Okay, good plant. Uh, uh, you also see Leland cypress used. Well, maybe that's not such a good plant for us because it has proven to be uh, undependable. It will let you down. It does have some disease issues associated with it, uh, and it's not a really good dry weather plant. Um, but but when you when you plant multiples of the same thing, then you've got a monoculture. <clears throat> so so if if that plant is susceptible to a particular issue, then the entire planting is, is at risk should, you know, that particular issue arise. You know, for example, if, if you've got a screen of uh, these Leland Cypress and it turns hot and dry and you don't have any way to provide moisture for those and they're going to start suffering, get weaker, and then that makes them prone to infection by a disease called ceridium canker. And ceridium canker is going to, slowly over time, it's going to thin that population out. You're going to lose some trees. Um, 
if you have multiple species of plants in that screen, then you have uh, you, you have diversified your risk. You have spread your risk out. Not all plants in the screen are equally susceptible to the same uh, to the same potential problem, possibly. So we encourage a, <clears throat> a, a mixed screen planting. And you know what? We've got publications for that uh, of, of recommended plants to use I- as a screen plant uh, and some maybe that you might want to avoid as a screen plant. But again, you ask the question, you know, what are some of those that are used? Again, Arvada is one that's used and it can be a very good choice. Uh, Arizona cypress is another one that can be used. Um, uh, Nellie Stevens holly, that's a broadleaf uh, uh, evergreen plant that can grow up, you know, 15 feet tall, nice wide evergreen plant. Are these uh, expensive? You know what? Depends on how big it is. Yeah. You know, and and and, and again, what what is expensive? Um, I guess if you're a millionaire, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. <laughs> you know, it, you know, your idea of expense may be different than my idea of expense. Right. But um, you know, the the smaller the plant, typically the cheaper the plant's going to be to purchase. And, you know, folks will very often, you know, think, okay, I want to buy a great big plant because I want it in a hurry. But in reality, a, a, a smaller plant will, will typically grow faster once it's established in its new home than will a larger plant. So what you, you may give up, you know, two or three years of the, the screen effect that you were hoping for. But in the long run, you save, uh, you know, you save money in the process of doing that. And, and something else that folks have to keep in mind that, that really need to keep in mind in order for these screen plantings to be, to be successful is take into account the mature size of the tree, of the shrub, whatever it is, and allow for that when they're planted. For example, uh, if you're going to plant a, uh, uh, one of the eastern red cedars, and, and, and eastern red cedars, you know, that's, that's just the common cedar tree we have growing here. Now, there are some cultivated varieties of those that are very hardy, and that folks should certainly consider them uh, over plants, especially like compared to a Leland cypress. They could be a much more uh, a long-term and satisfactory plant, uh, either as a specimen or as a, a, a part of a screen planting. But, uh, for example, you know, if, if you, you look and say, okay, this thing is going to be 20 feet wide, potentially. All right, so, so, so if they're going to be 20 feet wide, well, you don't plant them five feet apart, you know, so, so, so you, you take that into account. Uh, so that you you allow enough space between them that when that thing reaches 20 feet, then you've got a screen. Because if you start planting them closer than that, then you're overplanting. You're 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 building in competition uh, right off the bat. So you're you're putting those plants in a stressful environment uh, to begin with. And you know that that's a, that just reminded me of another session we're going to have this spring. You know why'd that plant die? Well, very often, you know, you killed it. Uh, the, day, the day you put it in the yard, you, you killed the plant because uh, of where you put it, uh, of how you planted it, you know, how closely you planted it next to other plants, et cetera, things like that. Hey, I could envision a lot of people would be putting those trees right next to each other thinking this is going to be the that best happens idea. A lot. Yeah, happens a lot, especially, again, I, I talk about the Leland Cypress. And why do I do that? Because every year we have folks bringing in samples of Leland Cypress. What was wrong with this plant? You know, why is it doing this? Well, tell me about them. Well, these things are, you know, they've been in the ground 15 years. They're 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 40 feet tall. They're 30 feet wide and, and, and so on. And uh, how many, do you have a screen of those? Yeah. And we planted those things like 10 feet apart, but they'll grow 30 feet wide, you know, and boy, you, you were, you, you put them in a stressful environment to begin with. Okay. <laughs> by, by, by competition. And you think about the root zone on, on trees and shrubs, you know, it, it, it extends past 
if you got a, a tree that's got a 30 foot spread, you figure mm-hmm. you got at least a 30 foot wide root zone out there. Wow. And so it, it extends out to the, uh, or it needs to, it needs to extend out that far. When you put it in a space that won't let it do that, like in a, uh, like an island, for example, in a, a parking lot, you know, some trees just not going to sit there very well. And, and, and so what, what should be a, a 30, 40 foot root zone, now you've got a 10 foot root zone. And so that, that tree doesn't have near the root zone, so it cannot store the energy. Uh, it cannot have the, the reserves it needs to, to carry it through stressful periods and whatnot, so it's a weaker tree to begin with. Again, Mitchell Moat with us this morning from the Agriculture Extension Service of Rutherford County, and uh, we'll be happy to take your questions, 615-893-1450. Time again, 846, and the temperature outside is going up. It is now 21 degrees uh, so warming up out there almost feels like what Florida weather, doesn't it? Well, you know when you had a negative six to a twenty-one, so what? That's that's a twenty-seven degree temperature swing. So it is. That, that, that it sounds is. better when you say it that way. I guess <laughs> it's yeah. it's a little chilly though. Oh, it's it's still chilly. It is, but man, it's it, it gives it lets us know there's hope out there. It makes you feel alive. It that's, does. It does. <laughs> We're going to take a short break, and we will be right back again. The time right now eight forty-six. As cold and flu season approaches, one of the best things that you can do to give somebody who is sick is a quart of Demas's chicken and rice soup. This is Peter Demas with Demas Family of Restaurants. This soup is my grandmother's recipe and we have used this soup in order to help our family whenever we are sick. Just gives us a good comfort feeling. One of the things that you can also do is you can now ship that soup anywhere across the United States and you can order that soup online at DemasFamilyKitchen.com. Hi, this is Dan Mitchell from Music World and Drummer's Den. We offer a good assortment of everything. We have new guitars, Gill, Seagull, Godin, lots of brands, vintage guitars. We have everything you need, keyboards, drums, and every instrument you can think of. We would welcome you to come in and look around, see what you can find that you have to have. Music World and Drummer's Den is located at 2762 South Church Street, right across from Indian Hills Golf Course. Markets are trembling. Don't be a casualty of economic upheaval. Do what I did and embrace the safety of gold. Talk to the experts at Noble Gold Investments today, and you can claim a free 3-ounce silver American virtue coin. With gold at an all-time high, you need to jump on this. Just use the promo code GOLD. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com now. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision. We've been driving for six hours, and I haven't coughed once. Well, you took Mucinex DM 12-hour, right? It gives you 12 full hours of cough and chest congestion relief. Really? 12 hours? That means you still get to enjoy another six hours of me singing road trip songs. Yay. Mucinex DM tablets have one immediate release layer and one long-lasting extended release layer to provide cough and chest congestion relief for a full 12 hours. Whoa, whoa, baby! Buy Mucinex DM 12-hour now for 12-hour cough and chest congestion relief. Use as directed. Hi, this is Tina Fox at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Come see us for all your clothing, gift, pets, any needs that you have for your lawn or garden, and also don't forget anything you need for your farm. Please come visit us at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Where are you located? 985 Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off of South Church. Do you have to be a member to shop here? You don't have to be a member with us to shop. The Co-op Farm and Home Center on Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off South Church. 
The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Right now that time, 8.49, you're listening to WGNS again on this Thursday morning. Today is the 18th of January. Mitchell Moat from the Agriculture Extension Service joins us this morning. And uh, off the air, you were talking about a special guest that will return. Yeah, this is so, you know, remind you, what year is this? It's 2024. So so what's the significance of that? Well, you think back, you know, 13 years ago, it was 2011. What, what occurred in 2011? Uh, well, in 2011, that was the last emergence of this particular brood of the 13-year periodical cicada. So every 13 years, or at least so far they have, uh, th- those things do emerge uh, in the, the springtime, and they're with us for a few weeks, and then they go away and not to be seen again for another 13 years. So 2024, we anticipate the emergence of uh, the 13-year periodical cicada here in Rutherford County. Uh, for folks that have not been through one of those uh, events where the cicadas have emerged, you're in for uh, probably in for a, uh, an experience. Yeah, but buckle up. But because they are, uh, if you're not familiar with them, you know, cicadas are, are large insects, uh, you know, inch and a half, two inches long. They got big red eyes. They're, they're a large-bodied insect. Um, they, uh, they, they make lots of noise. Uh, the, the males do. You know, it's their, their mating call uh, to attract females. And, and there are literally millions of them out when, when they occur or when they do emerge um, they temp- typically uh, we anticipate to see them come out of the ground um, in May and they will last a few weeks uh, uh, generally by the end of June uh, we don't we don't see them anymore they have they've completed their life cycle uh, they have mated the females have laid eggs and uh, the eggs have hatched and they have dropped back down those those young nymphs that have hatched out have dropped down to the ground where they burrow back in to spend the next 13 years until the cycle repeats itself um, how do they all wake up at the same time because you may have one out in Barfield wake up the same time as one in Rockville uh, you know what that's just the way they work that's and, so and, and, crazy they don't necessarily all come out at the exact same time you, you, you'll you'll that you'll typically see you know some some uh, uh i guess overachievers that that will maybe come out a little bit earlier uh but but boy when the the bulk of them come out uh, it's it's boy it's it's an experience because literally there are just millions of them and, and they do emerge from the ground they spent the last 13 years in the ground feeding uh on roots and you know ironically there seems to be no correlation between cicada nymph, and that's what those young ones in the ground are called, the, 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 the immature ones. They're called nymphs. And there's no correlation between uh, cicada nymph feeding on, on plant roots and, and, and plant damage. Hmm. Don't, they don't damage the plants at all. I mean, they've evolved uh, here. They're a North American insect. These are native North America. They have the longest life cycle of any insect in North America. Uh, there are 17-year periodical cicadas. There are 13-year periodical cicadas. And they're annual cicadas. Okay, we have cicadas every year. You know, they come out in the summertime, but, you know, not in huge numbers. These are going to be... If trends follow history, then they're going to be in huge numbers. They were uh, the, the 2000 and, or excuse me, the 1998 emergence and the 2011 emergence were were uh, described as being spectacular emergences, hmm. uh, simply because of the just the the, the the sheer number of insects that were out there. So they'll come out of the ground. 
they'll crawl up on the, uh, on some uh, surface above the ground like the trunk of a tree or the uh, a fence post or you know the the, the stems of, of shrubs and whatnot and they will shed uh, they, they'll molt and they will shed that exoskeleton and then they come out you know the full material insect they climb up there a little ways on the plant and let their wings and so on dry off and then they take flight and they begin to mate that's that's their purpose they're not feeding on plants they they won't bite you they don't they don't feed on plants uh, uh uh, so so you don't worry about feeding damage these are not locusts okay locusts are a, a, a grasshopper and and locusts eat plants uh, they cause a lot of plant damage they can destroy crops etc cicadas do not do that they are not locusts not even related to a locust they're just noisy uh, they're um, a nuisance I guess um, they fly around, they mate, uh, and, and again, you know, they, they live for a few weeks and then they die. And, you know, you may have a number of dead cicadas lying around. Well, when you've got a big pile of, you know, dead two-inch long bugs, well, do they have an uh, odor when they die and decay? I, I mean, I would think yes, so. They do. Yeah. Yes, they do. So you can, you know, you may experience that. Um, <laughs> people wonder about uh, do they hurt plants? Well, no, they don't feed on plants, Okay. Uh, but but females, the female does lay eggs, her eggs, in small woody stems of plants, like small branches, uh, and typically, you know, pencil size, pencil diameter, or smaller. Hmm. And she she has a thing called an ovipositor. It's just a, a a structure on her body that allows her to to cut a slit on the underside of these little branches, and she'll deposit eggs. You know, so many eggs in this in this uh, the egg laying site, and then move down the branch and do it again. And she may have two or three, you know, egg laying sites on this one branch. So it's possible that uh, she can cause enough damage on those small twigs that the the end of the twig may die where she has done this, and they'll you know they'll fall off at some point. So the the potential for damage is much greater on uh, on small plants than it is on young plants so folks ask well can i protect my plants well about the only option you've got is to cover that plant with something like some uh, uh you know a plant cover uh, a lightweight uh, plant fabric uh cheesecloth and so on just to deny them physical access to the plant but otherwise no there's not really anything that you can do about it um you I might suggest to you that if it was on your uh, on your radar on your to-do list to put out some new shrubbery this year wait until the cicadas have have done their thing and again you know we anticipate uh, coming out sometime in may and being here for a few weeks and, and you know generally by the end of june you don't see them anymore they, they've done what they're going to do and they're, they're gone again um do they come out in every state every city no no uh you know some for uh, we Rutherford County we have the we have the 13 year cicada uh Wilson County they have the the 13 year periodical cicada and they also have a 17 year periodical cicada and they don't necessarily all emerge at the same time thankfully they don't they come out at different times and there are a number of different broods of the 17 year and the 13 year there there are more broods of the 17 than are the 13 I forget exactly how many but they're more of a of a you know southeastern uh, or an eastern part of the United States uh, uh, concern or, or insect than the than the entire United States, okay. and and there are, there are some counties in Tennessee that don't have any. You know why don't they cross county lines? I don't know. 
And when you talk about how loud they are, and I remember how loud they are, but is there... Do you have an idea of, of what to compare that to? I mean, as loud as a concert, as loud as a jet plane? So, uh, you know, they approach, they, they, if, I, if I recall correctly, uh, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 decibels, potentially. That's loud. That's pretty loud. It's loud yeah. as a weed eater, yeah. you know. Yeah, that? it is. And, and, and speaking of weed eaters, you know, the males are the ones that make the noise. And so that noise is to attract females because their whole purpose is out here is, is, to, uh, is to, 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 to procreate. That's their whole purpose for being out there. Um, they love men with weed eaters. Well, they do because that, that weed eater, the, the, apparently there is some, some similarity between the, the, the frequency of the noise produced by these gasoline-powered uh, weed eaters and you know, string trimmers and leaf blowers and the, the, the male uh, mating sound. And so females might be attracted to an individual out here with a weed eater. So that being the case, maybe you don't want to do that if you're bothered by those and again they're not going to hurt you okay they're not going to bite you or anything like that but they may fly to you if you're out doing that kind of work so you may want to avoid doing that you know in the in the middle part of the day uh, the, the, when they're apt to be more active this would be the summer to switch to an electric weed eater maybe electric weed eater or you know do it in the evening when you're getting closer to dust time because they're not going to be nearly so active at that point and you, it's not going to be an issue or not as much of an issue for you i, I could see where somebody from another area who doesn't have these would you know maybe this is their first year living here and, it, and this bam yeah. happens yeah well, i mean what, scary. What is it? it is and you know some fo- again some people just don't want an insect on them and i I, you know, I can't blame you for that but but they're not going to hurt you okay they're, they're not going to hurt you uh and uh, i mean the, you can find recipes to to prepare uh cicadas i'm gonna pass on that one source well, you know what there's still lots of other things out there to eat and until until i run out of those i'm probably not going to try cicada no cicada now, soup. Y- you know dogs some why why will they eat them i don't know but I, they do some do and they can get sick because they're not poison they just eat so darn many bugs uh and they yeah. get the bellyache and I, I guess cats can do the same thing too so uh, pets should steer clear. Keep them inside while they're swarming. You know, just try not to let your dog go out there and eat piles of cicadas, I guess. It is 9 o'clock. That's going to do it this morning. Mitchell Moat uh, on the air with us this morning. And uh, Agriculture Extension Service, that's where he is. If you have any questions, you can stop by on John R. Rice Boulevard. Yeah, 315, right John R. Rice, Suite 101. Just down from Sam's. Yep, down the street from Sam's, next door to Paws Animal Control Center. Sounds good. Well, we will see you soon again on the radio. Thank you, sir. Again, 9 o'clock, local news is next with WGNS's Ron Jordan.